Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, I want to uh, preach a message this morning. And uh, I don't know about you, but I can't believe that it's 2020 already. Is anyone kind of going, how did that even happen? Like it fully feels like yesterday I was sitting at home hearing about all through media how I needed to stock up on food because the, you know, the Y2K bug was going to hit and the whole world was going to end and, and some people are looking and nodding going, yeah, I'm still eating those baked beans. And, <laughs> but it seems like life moves ridiculously quickly and I kind of can't believe that it's 2020. I can't believe that my youngest, oh, sorry, my eldest son now has his L plates. <laughs> I'm scared. Not for you, for me. Life moves pretty quickly and right now we have a brand new year ahead of us. And I'm not one of those people that tends to make New Year's resolutions. Main reason I don't do that is because history would show that I don't go real good at sticking at them. So I don't tend to make New Year's resolutions. But I had a look and I thought... I wonder what this year's top 10 most common New Year's resolutions are. Let me give you these 10. Number one, exercise more. Could anyone at all lock that one in? My hand's up. I'm not looking around. Secondly, lose weight. Lock it in, Eddie. Thank you very much. Number uh, number three, get organised. And all the spontaneous people said, yeah, whatever. Number four, learn a new skill or hobby. Sounds like fun. Number five, live life to the fullest. Number six, save more money and spend less money. There's some good advice. Number seven, quit smoking. Not a bad idea. Number eight, spend more time with family and with friends. Number eight, sorry, number nine, travel more. And number 10, read more. That's a pretty good list of New Year's resolutions and I reckon if you could pick off even just a a fistful of those or one or two of those, they would be great things to implement into your life over 2020. But I've sat around over the last little while thinking, I wonder what I want 2020 to look like. As I've looked back across 2019 and In my life, I've looked at that and gone, okay, well, this is what happened and this is what God did and these were the things that God was trying to show me that took 12 months, which really should have maybe only taken three months, but hey. And as I've looked back at that, I'm looking forward and I'm going, 2020, really, it's a new year and it's an opportunity to reflect and look forward. But really, I don't know if you've noticed, but when midnight ticks over, on the last day of the year, nothing actually changes. Generally speaking, the first thing that changes in my world on New Year's Day is I wake up really tired because I don't do late nights so well anymore. And all these great ideas were exactly just that. They were great ideas. And for some of us, we stick to them and If you're smashing a New Year's resolution so far, 
Go you, high five, and uh, keep it up. That's awesome. But as I thought about this, and as I thought about my life and our life and the faith journey, I thought, I wonder what my New Year's resolution could look like. And I wonder if this year, as I propose this idea this morning, I wonder if perhaps a few of us would consider giving this a go. Here it is, listen up. In 2020, my New Year's resolution is quite simply, I want to limit Jesus less. That's mine and I'm so stoked that one person is backing me for the next 300 and whatever days. That's awesome, I'm going to need your help. The rest of you, whatever. No, I'm kidding. I simply want to limit Jesus less in my life. And that's a pretty brave thing because I'm your pastor and I'm not meant to limit Jesus, right? Well, sorry if I've disappointed you this morning. I'm perfectly human, as I hope are you. And I do things that get in the way of Jesus working in my life occasionally. I want to limit Jesus less. And I want to live a limitless life. I'm going to throw a little quote to you this morning. And I stumbled across this and it was kind of like someone just punched me really hard. So get ready for this one. A child once asked, what does God do all day? Well, if the answer to the question depended on how much we allow God to do in our own individual lives, some of us may have to reply, not much. I'm not passing judgment this morning. I'm simply being real because when I read that, I've just gone, wow. There are moments in my life where if I was to answer that question, there are moments where I would have to say, Sometimes God's not doing too much at all. See, I want to live a limitless life. I want to limit God less. I want to limit Jesus less in my life. You know, it's pretty easy in difficult situations. It's pretty easy to say, you know, we trust God, yet I'm going to try and figure this out my way. God, I trust you and I know you're there and I know you're able and all of those sort of things, but check out my plan and the way I think I can do this or the way I think I can fix this. It's pretty easy to find ourselves in that position. I think at the very core of that concept, it actually exposes an element of unbelief. God, I know you're there, but I can't quite trust you enough to follow your direction and your path. I want to figure this out for myself. You know, we know that it be true that God is constantly at work. He's always at work. He's always going about his plans and his purposes. We know that to be true. But it's interesting that in the mix of all of that, 
God has given us the ability to limit the work that he can do in our own lives. You're probably thinking, where are you going with this? Well, we see it in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to check this out shortly, but in Mark chapter 6, we get this picture of Jesus trying to do mighty things in his hometown. But it's interesting that the Bible tells us as Jesus went home to his hometown, Jesus, the Son of God, was all of a sudden known as Jesus, the carpenter's son. And in that town, in his hometown, Jesus was limited as to what he could do in people's lives. I find it quite fascinating, and I go okay at this, but as humans, we tend to try and hide our limitations the best we can. And if you think about maybe what some of your limitations are, some of the things you maybe don't go so well at, we try really, really hard to mask those and to hide those and, you know, kid people into thinking we're really good at stuff that maybe we're not so good at. We don't want people to see our weakness. We don't want people to see our inadequacies. I don't want people to think that I'm not up to it or I'm not capable. However, I've noticed something. And in life, I love to watch people. I've told you this before. I, I, would, I reckon paying for a flight ticket... If all you did was sit at the airport and watch people, I reckon it's money well spent. You don't even have to get on the plane. I just love watching people. I love seeing what humans do and the way they engage in crazy behaviours. One of the things I've observed over time in watching people, particularly people that I admire who have a strong faith, is I've discovered something. And this is what it is people who I would consider strong in their faith journey know what it is to be okay with their limitations and their weaknesses. They know what it is to say, actually, I'm not so good at that. And that's okay. Maybe that's not my gift. Maybe that's not my strength. And that's perfectly okay. And those people, they're unashamedly okay with sitting before God and just going, God, this is who I am. This is the way you've made me. There's some things I'm good at. There's some things I'm not so good at. And when they do that, they acknowledge their weakness, yes. But over and above that, they acknowledge God's strength to work through our weaknesses. I don't know how many times in your life you've had an experience where you've gone, oh my goodness, God just spoke through me or God just used me or God just did something with my life and he did it in a way and in a space that I never, ever, ever thought was possible. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 10, it says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10. 
That is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Because for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, the Bible teaches us that the more we learn to depend upon God, the more opportunity that he gives, or that we give rather, for him to be active in our life. The more we rely upon God, the more we actually say, God, I'm going to afford you the space to be active and at work in my life. Can I hear an amen this morning? If you have your Bible, would you please turn to Mark chapter 6 this morning? It'll be up on the screen, but open up your Bible app or whatever and follow along this morning. We're going to pick up the story to see exactly how is it that we can limit God's work in our lives. I'm going to read from the message. I love the rendering uh, of this particular passage. And uh, so follow along with this. Mark 6, it reads this, verse 1. Through to verse 6. It says, He left there and returned to his hometown. His disciples came along. And on the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place. He made a real hit, impressing everyone. We had no idea he was this good, they said. How did he get so wise all of a sudden? How did he get such ability? But in the next breath, they were cutting him down. He's just a carpenter's. He's just Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. We know his brothers, James, Justice Jude and Simon and all his sisters. Who does he think he is? They tripped over what little they knew about him and fell, sprawling. And they never got any further. Jesus told them, A prophet has little honour in his hometown. Among his relatives, on the streets he played in as a child. And Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. That's all. He couldn't get over their stubbornness. And he left and made a circuit of the other villages, spending his time teaching. I reckon it's a pretty challenging six verses of Scripture. At the beginning of it, in verse 1, we see that Jesus leaves Capernaum and heads to his hometown and makes his way to Nazareth. And according to Google, that'll take you 8 hours and 47 minutes by foot. And he sets out and that's where he's heading. He's leaving a place where he's had incredible success. Things have gone well. And he's heading home. I'm not sure about you, but I love... Love, love going home. There is something pretty special about returning to what, if I can call it, your old stomping ground. There's something pretty special about going home to your old stomping ground. And here we have a picture of Jesus leaving place A, heading for place B, home. You can imagine the emotions, the feelings, and home for Jesus had been a bit contentious and So, you know, it was going to be great, but there was also some concern and all of these sorts of things. But here's Jesus with his mates, the disciples, footing at home. A pretty exciting time. Heading home to his old stomping ground. 
a funny story for you. My dad grew up in a place called East Sassafras. Some of you will know where that is. It wasn't West Sassafras, according to my dad. He was from the east side of Sassafras. I didn't think Sassafras was big enough to have east and west, but apparently it does. That's where my dad grew up. He grew up on a farm there. He spent all his young years there. And just recently, I've found it absolutely fascinating at times to sit with my dad and just listen to him talk about his childhood and, you know, his journey. And he talks about that. But I remember when we were young, And we would go on a holiday or we would drive through the coast. I remember every single time we drove past the big spud at Sassafras, my dad would say like a broken record every time, that's my old stomping ground right there. So much so that I have a good friend who uh, lived in Western Australia, now lives in Brisbane actually, and uh, a good friend, who he has family here and he often comes home and uh, we don't get to connect when he's here because it's a quick in and out and he's visiting his family. But every time I go past Sassafras and every time he's in the state and he goes past Sassafras, we send a message to each other that simply says, just going past my old stomping ground. And uh, that's a bit of an in-joke between us, but there's something special about going back to your old stomping ground. You might be familiar with the idea of going to places you enjoyed as a kid. Oh, I remember going to Stanley and being at the top beach. And if you know the top beach at Stanley, there's a little grass hill. And I remember as a kid, we used to get pieces of cardboard and slide down that massive big grass hill. I go back now and that massive big grass hill is probably not much higher than this. But these incredible childhood memories of this place that was special and dear to me. I remember all my favourite foods. And I don't want to offend anyone this morning, but I want to honour my grandmother on my mum's side and no one makes Anzac biscuits like my Nan Stokes made Anzac biscuits. You know the ones where they're crunchy on... No, you won't because you've not had them, but they're crunchy on the outside... And they're chewy in the middle. And you just, you could go to Nan's house and she always had a batch just warm out of the oven. What an angel. Certain foods, certain smells that take you back to a sense of home. Seeing old friends, catching up with family and familiar faces. See, you don't know this and no one calls me this here because we relocated. But in my hometown, I only have one name. It's not Dan and it's not Daniel. It's Uppy. And everyone in my family who's in Upton is known as Uppy. And when I go home, I hear this name called Uppy and I go, man, I haven't heard that for six years. And it's familiar. And it's comfortable. See, here we have a picture of Jesus returning home to a place where he was known well. You know, and it's in this very same way, like when I go home and I get called Uppy, and I don't know why I said that, because you're all going to try and be funny now and go, hey, Uppy, I'm just going to ignore you. No, I'm kidding. And here we have a picture of Jesus coming back 
into Nazareth. He's preached all around the Sea of Galilee and it's been great. And here comes Jesus. It's his homecoming. Here he comes, returning back to the place where he grew up, seeing the people he grew up with, old friends, family, acquaintances. Here he comes. Well, I wonder if this morning, perhaps you can hear the chatter. And maybe you can hear it. Maybe you can put yourself in this picture of people chatting about Jesus coming back. Saying things like this. Have you heard the news? No, no, no. What's the news? What? You haven't heard the news? Jesus. He's back in town. Who? Jesus. He's coming back. Jesus. Jesus. You know Jesus, right? Mary's boy. The carpenter's son. Ah, I remember Jesus. He was that young guy that was, Nazareth was never really good enough for him. He had a bit of wanderlust, like he had to keep on the move. He, he was the guy that loved to travel and this place wasn't really good enough for him, so he just kind of moved on. You can hear the chatter. You can hear the tone between the lines. Because as we read Mark chapter 6, for the Nazarenes, this was Jesus, the carpenter's son. Not Jesus, God's son. I wonder this morning, and we can't answer this, but I wonder how much did the people of Nazareth miss out on because they welcomed back Jesus the carpenter's son and failed to see Jesus, God's only son? Is this making sense to you this morning? I wonder how much more God could have done in their lives if they hadn't have placed limitations on him. I wonder how much more God could have done in their lives and for them and if they had have seen Jesus as God's son, not Jesus, the carpenter's son. I wonder this morning how much more could God do in our lives if we were to remove the limitations that we can so easily place around Jesus and around God? wonder how much more in 2020 God could do in Dan Upton's life if I removed the limitations that I can so easily, knowingly and unknowingly often place around Jesus. You know it's common and you've heard it said that often we treat Jesus as the spare wheel instead of the steering wheel. We pull him out of the boot when we really need it and we're in a pickle and we're broken down on the side of the highway of life and we just go, hey Jesus, spare tire, I need you right now. 
pull him out and we go, high five, awesome, I love you. We go and get the other tyre fixed, we put it back on and we throw Jesus back in the boot. When God's intention was God would drive and steer and help us navigate our life, to steer our life. I wonder how often we view Jesus as the carpenter's son instead of God's only son. Because I'm absolutely convinced as we launch into 2020, depending how we view Jesus, will radically change what 2020 looks like. Let me give you this. John 10. You'll know these verses. Verse 9 to 11 says, I am the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture But the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Did you hear that in verse 10? I come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants to give you life. He wants you to have it to the full. He wants you to have a limitless life where you know no boundaries. And I'm not talking about your responsibilities. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus and your relationship with our Father in heaven and what he's able to do in and through your life and for you. He wants you to know what it is to have a limitless life. In Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21, we read Paul's prayer for the people in the church in Ephesus. It reads this, verse 14, For the reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20. Now to him who is able, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Church, can I remind you this morning that God is a God of abundance. God is a God who wants to give you all that you need. God wants to provide for you. God wants to carry you through. God wants to hold you and nurture you and love on you. God wants you to understand what it is to experience his incredible plans and purposes for your life. 
I wonder if we, as we launch into 2020, I wonder what it would look like. I've coined this new kind of concept in my head. I was sharing it this morning with someone and I'd be a little bit brave and let you in for a moment, but I've come up with this concept where I now look at the things I go through, the things I battle, the things that I struggle with, and yes, I struggle, yes, I have battles, yes, I have great days. Man, could I tell you about some great days that I have, but there are days where it's difficult. And I do this thing now where I look at my difficult days and I I ponder this question. I ask myself, and please, please don't judge me for this, but I ask myself, knowing myself as intimately as I do, if I was God, how could I And what would I need to take Dan Upton through to make sure that he remains in the palm of my hand? And I look at my life now and go, yeah, okay. God, I see what you're doing. I see why there was that heartache. I see why there was that battle. I see why there was that struggle. Because you're constantly trying to keep me in a place where I'm at the feet of Jesus, where I'm in the palm of my Father in heaven. Does that make sense to you this morning? I wonder what 2020 would look like if we were to remove all the limitations that we can so easily, knowingly and unknowingly place on Jesus. I wonder what 2020 would look like if we honoured Jesus the way he should be honoured and honoured him not as the carpenter's son, but honoured him as Jesus, God's only son. And if we did that, and if someone asked, what does God do all day? And if the answer to that question depended on what he does and how much I allow him to do in my personal life, wouldn't it be incredible if we all had to reply, he's well busy. God, in my life, is well busy. Hebrews 12, we're almost done. Verse 1 to 2 reads this, Therefore, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I wonder this morning, as 2020 rolls round and Man, I can't believe that we're almost halfway through January. I'm just going, wow, time's just moving so quickly. But I wonder if 2020 is not a year where afresh, even this morning in the quietness of your heart perhaps, but maybe 2020 is the year where afresh maybe we need to say, as Scripture has taught us, as for me and my house, As for me and my family, the decision in my life 
is that I'm going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to do everything I can to remove the limits that I put in the way of Jesus. You know, I want to live a limitless 2020. I want to know what it is to say, hey, God, this is the situation. Can you do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever hope, dream or imagine of in this situation? And maybe this year is a year where we could all do well to commit ourselves to a limitless life. Can I hear an amen this morning?